Second Corinthians chapter eight tonight. Second Corinthians chapter eight. We're continuing our series in the book of Second Corinthians. And I wanna I wanna give a little bit of an introduction tonight before we dive into Second Corinthians eight, so you get the continuity of why Paul is now diving into what he is. First is this. Last week we talked about how important relationships are and how we need to work through our problems in our relationships and hang in there with each other rather than walking away from each other and and having disposable Christian relationships. Uh, And so he really talked about that last week. Now he's going to build on that by telling the Corinthians, Corinthians, here's why you need to learn to work together in Corinth and work through your problems and hang in there with each other. Because ultimately, God not only wants you to be working together as a local church, but God wants you to learn as Christians to cooperate with other Christians in other local churches. And if you can't learn to even do something in a unified fashion in your church, how are you ever going to expect to cooperate with other churches and do other things with other Christians? The other thing is this. Everything that Paul's going to say in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is built on the fact that these churches had banded together to take up a collection for the saints in Jerusalem. Primarily Jewish Christians who, after giving their life to Jesus Christ, were under tremendous persecution and lost a lot of their wealth, their property, their social standing, their ability even to make money and to support themselves. And so Christians from all over that area were banding together to say, you know what, we understand your plight and we're coming together to show you the love of Christ and to show you not only that God's going to take care of you through us, but that we are all in this together. And so the collection, if you will, the giving that Paul's talking about here in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is really dealing with that particular collection. By the way, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is a unit. We're only going to look at chapter 8 tonight. We'll look at chapter 9 tomorrow, uh, next week, excuse me. And it is the most definitive passage on giving and generosity that's found anywhere in the New Testament. If you want to know about what God thinks about giving and generosity, just study 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. Now, we sang a lot about grace tonight. Because the other thing that Paul wants to share here is that all of the Christian life is really living in response to God's grace. Notice what Paul says. Now we make known to you, brothers and sisters, the grace of God given to the churches of Macedonia. God had supplied and furnished the churches of Macedonia with his grace. And let's remember what God's grace is. It is his supernatural grace enablement and influence in people's lives. And the way the Bible says that we get God's grace is by humbling ourselves and living in dependence upon him. He gives grace to the humble, James says, but he rejects the proud. So if you and I are going to live our Christian life on our own, and we're basically saying, God, I got this, don't need you, then we're never going to really experience God's grace and therefore our life is going to be limited just to what we can accomplish. When Christians begin to humble themselves and live in dependence on God, we live at a whole other level. We then can begin to live a supernatural life. God will be doing things in and through us 
that only God can accomplish. Not you and I could ever accomplish on our own. And Paul simply saying to the church at Corinth. Now, let me say this too. There's a little geography going on here. Greece at that time was divided up into two regions. The south region was Achaia, where Corinth was located. The north region of Greece at that time was known as Macedonia. And some of the churches in Macedonia you would be familiar with, churches like Thessalonica, Berea, Philippi. They were the churches in Macedonia. So Paul's saying to the Corinthians, hey, you in Corinth, I want to use these churches in Macedonia as an example to try to inspire you and motivate you when it comes to jumping in on this gift to the saints in Jerusalem and being generous. And I want to tell you about these churches in Macedonia that God's grace was poured out on. Notice what he says. That during a severe ordeal of suffering, being pressed like grapes in the Greek language, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in the wealth of their generosity. Notice a couple things that God's grace will enable us to do as Christians. First of all, God's grace will enable us to live with abundant joy in spite of whatever suffering or circumstances we go through. See, if I live without God's grace, then like the churches in Macedonia, when I go through a severe ordeal of suffering, I won't have any joy. Because I'm trying to navigate that severe ordeal of suffering on my own. And within myself, I don't have the supernatural ability to be joyful in the midst of a severe ordeal of suffering. But when I live by God's grace, God's supernatural enablement and influence in my life allows me abundant joy in the middle of a severe ordeal of suffering. The second thing God's grace will do is out of even my extreme poverty. These churches, literally, were poor churches. They didn't have a lot of this world's goods. In fact, again, the Greek language speaks about destitute, beggary. These churches probably couldn't, as we say, rub two nickels together. And yet, Paul says, because God's grace was operating in their life, Out of their extreme poverty, they overflowed, they abounded in the wealth of their generosity. See, God doesn't care about how much you and I give, how generous we are. It's not the amount. It's the evidence of His grace and the fact that regardless of where I am on the social scale and how much I have to give and what resources I have, The Bible simply says that when God's grace is being received in my life, I'll be a generous person, regardless of whether I'm wealthy or I'm poor. It won't matter. I will be generous. By the way, the word generosity here means openness of heart. It also means, listen to this, selflessness, simplicity, and singleness. Think about how those words that form the meaning of the word generosity, how that speaks to us about how we can be generous. Living a selfless lifestyle obviously helps us to be more generous. Living a simplistic lifestyle obviously is going to help us to be more generous. And having a single-mindedness in the way we live life is going to allow our openness of heart. 
So Paul is saying, guys, in Corinth, I hope you're as encouraged and as inspired and motivated by this group of churches like I am. Because even though they were going through a tremendous ordeal of suffering, they held to their joy because of God's grace. And out of their extreme poverty, they overflowed with generosity. Then he goes on to say, For I testify, they gave according to their means. Again, not how much. They couldn't give anything more than what they had. They gave according to their power and resources and beyond their means. And I think simply what that means is because they didn't have very much, what they did give, I think God multiplied it. Think of the story of the little boy who gave his little lunch and God multiplied it. Again, when God's grace is operating in our life, it's not going to be about the, the amount and how much. It's going to be the heart of generosity. That's what God's looking at. Are we as Christians responding to His grace? When we started this church, one of the reasons why we set up doing offering, or I should say not doing offering, the way we do, is because I'm a firm believer in what Paul's teaching here. And that is this. If God's grace is operating in a Christian's life, They don't need a pastor up there asking them to give or begging them for money. If God's grace is operating in a Christian's life, they will want to give. And they don't need to be coerced and they don't need to be cajoled and all that kind of stuff. They will give out of what God's grace is doing in their life. And that's why that box sits back there in the back of the auditorium. We don't even take up an offering on on Tuesday night. And we never take up an offering on Sunday. The box sits back there, and whoever wants to drop their offering into that box can do so. We almost, most Sundays don't even mention. In fact, I have to do a better job of that, because when we have new people come, they're coming up to me going, I have an offering, but I don't know what to do with it. But we want people, if they do give... If they are going to be generous, we want it to be in response to God's grace. That's the way God designed it to be. And trust me, when God's grace is operating in a Christian's life, as we're going to see here, they're going to be generous all over the place. Notice what he goes on to say. They did so voluntarily, verse 3, willingly. And he says, begging us. With great earnestness for the blessing and fellowship of helping the saints. Notice, the pastors in the churches at Macedonia weren't begging the people for money. The people, because God's grace was operating in their life, were begging for the opportunity to give. That's evidence of God's grace in their life. Again, these were churches who were extremely destitute who didn't have a lot, and yet they were begging for the opportunity. And notice some things here. They were begging us with great earnestness for the blessing, the joy, the pleasure, the delight, and the fellowship of helping the saints. The Greek word is koinonia, community, participation. They understood that even though they couldn't give a lot, it was so important for God's people 
to show the world that we are in this together, that we are part of a community. That's the way God wants our local churches to be. When one suffers, we all suffer. When one is joyful, we're all joyful with each other. That we come together in community and we truly connect with each other. And God then wants other churches and Christians to be able to cooperate with other churches and other Christians to be able to do this too. That's why I'm thrilled about this new adventure that we're on as a church in diving into foster group homes. Because it's not just about the impact that we are seeking to make in these young lives in those foster group homes, but we are partnering with another local church, a church called Impacted for Purpose here in Mesa, Arizona. In fact, many of them are going to be coming to our potluck in October and joining us as a church. So we're going to have two churches at the potluck in October. We're going to have their church and our church all together. We'll tell you more about that. Regina's gone. I never heard about this. What are you talking about? <laughs> Debbie's like, you never told us about this. Notice he goes on to say, and they did this not just as we, verse 5, had hoped, but they gave themselves, here it is, first to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Notice, here's another key. When God's grace is being received in a Christian's life, the thing that we will do first before anything else is give ourselves to the Lord. And once we give ourselves to the Lord, then we know everything else is God's. If we truly are giving ourselves to the Lord and putting ourselves on the altar as a living sacrifice, then everything we have, everything we own is God's. We acknowledge that by first giving ourselves to the Lord. And that's what the Christians in the churches at Macedonia had done. And this is why Paul's using them as an example to the Corinthians, saying, come on, Corinthians, do the same thing that these churches in Macedonia did. He goes on to say also, not only did they give themselves first to the Lord, but notice also to us, they made themselves available to us. See, going back to even what Paul said to the Corinthians about, open up your heart to me. I love you. I have great affection for you. I've opened up my heart to you, but you continue to close your heart to me. God doesn't want us to keep our hearts closed to Christians. Now again, we've got to be careful, get all that. But Paul's also saying that again, when God's grace is operating in our life, not only will we give ourselves first to the Lord, but we will be willing to open up ourselves to our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what was going on here. And then he goes on to say, we urge Titus, verse 6, that just as he had previously begun this work with the churches at Macedonia, so also he should complete this act of kindness for you. Another thing that God's grace will do in our lives is help us to bring things to an end, to finish what we started. In other words, what Paul's saying there is, the churches at Macedonia had begun this collection and whatever, he's simply saying, now, now bring it to an end, complete it, wrap it up, put the bow on it. That's what God's grace will do. Many of us start things and never finish it. God's grace will not only enable us to go out there and start something, but will enable us to finish it. By the way, the word kindness there in the Net Bible translation in verse 6 is the Greek word charis, which is the word for grace. Paul, again, is saying that this act of kindness, this generosity, this giving is really just an act of grace. It is an evidence that God's grace is operating in our lives as Christians. 
verse 7. As you excel in everything, and I think Paul's here not looking at this necessarily from his perspective, but from what the Corinthians have said. As you excel in everything, you say you excel in faith and speech and knowledge and all eagerness and in the love from us that is in you, then make sure that you excel in this act of kindness, Greek, charis, too. In other words, I think in the church at Corinth, that they had elevated certain gifts, obviously, from 1 Corinthians, and that certain things were more important than necessarily other things. They sort of rated things. And Paul's saying, hey, if you want to rate things, being receptive of God's grace and being willing to be generous and giving of yourselves, that's just as important as anything else. And so God's saying, if you say you excel in all these other areas of your Christian life, then make sure you excel in this area too. This is certainly something that needs attention. Verse 8. I am not saying this is a command. I am testing the genuineness, the truth, the sincerity of your love by comparison with the eagerness, the diligence, the earnestness of others, specifically the churches of Macedonia. Paul simply laying it out. He said, hey, you say you're all that church at Corinth? Well, I've given you the example of these other churches in Berea, Philippi, and Thessalonica. That out of a great ordeal of suffering, they had abundant joy. And out of extreme poverty, they begged us to participate in this gift and overflowed with generosity. You need to follow their example. You need to do just as much as they have done. And then Paul switches from the example of the Macedonian churches to the greatest example of giving and generosity. Verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that although he was rich, he became poor. Now notice, Paul doesn't say he lost his richness when he became poor. Just like Jesus didn't lose his deity when he became human. He was still rich. He didn't lose the riches of glory, but he became poor. And think about it. If you and I are poor at some point and get rich, well, that's certainly something to have to deal with and adjust to. But how much more difficult is it to be rich and then to be poor? And think about it, especially from Jesus' perspective, where he had all the riches of the universe, the glories of heaven, the adoration of the angels, and yet he was willing to become poor. The word means lowly, afflicted. He didn't have a place to lay his head, the Bible says. And notice, three words next, for your sakes. That's giving. Jesus did it because of his openness of heart, his selflessness. He didn't come to earth and assume humanity, flesh, for himself. If it was about him, he would have stayed in heaven and said, you're on your own. He left the glories of heaven. He left his eternal riches for a while and assumed a lowly, humble, afflicted condition For our sakes, for our sakes, so that 
You and I, by his poverty, by his lowly, humble condition, could become rich. Do you know most Christians don't consider themselves rich? And yet the Bible says we have to recognize that because we are in Christ, we have available to us all the eternal wealth and resources of God to us. And not only in this world, but in the world to come. We are, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing, Peter says. We are rich, whether we acknowledge it and appreciate it or not, because we have Christ. See, it goes back a little bit to worship. We learn to be worshipers of God when God is not the means to the end, but he is the end. When we become content and satisfied with God alone, that's when we've come to be true worshipers. Many people today teach and many people today want God's as a, God as a means to an end. I, I want God because I, I want Him to do this for me and that for me and I, I want this from God and I want that from God. And all God becomes is a means to an end. You and I enter into true worship when God is not ever a means to an end. He is the end. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Content with God. Are we content with God? That's worship. Sorry. So Paul says in verse 10, So here is my opinion on this matter. It is to your advantage since you made a good start. So even the Corinthians started this collection last year, both in your giving and in your desire to give, to again, finish what you started. God's grace enables us to finish what we started, so that just as you wanted to do it eagerly, you can also complete it according to, and notice this, verse 11, very important, your means, not beyond your means, God will never ask us, even with his grace operating in our life, for what we don't have, for what we don't possess. All God asks for us, of us, is what we do have. And he simply says, give it to me. Make it available. I'm not asking you for what you don't have. I'm not asking you for any ability that I haven't given you. I'm not asking you for any spiritual gift that I haven't blessed you with. I'm not asking you for any material resource that you don't have. I'm simply asking you to put in my hands to use for my glory and others' benefit everything that you do have, that you do possess, that you do own. For if the eagerness is present, this is very important, verse 12, the gift itself is acceptable according to whatever one has. Notice that, again, it's not about the amount, folks. Too much teaching on giving and stuff is about amounts, totals, percentages. It's about the heart. It's about God's grace being received. And Paul's making a very important point as far as giving goes. He's saying in verse 12, if you are ready and willing, if you have the right motivation, if your heart is right, then whatever you give will be acceptable. 
Because it's not about the amount. It's about the heart. It's about the heart. It's about God's grace operating in our life. And if God's grace is operating in our life, we will always be ready and willing to be generous. And can I say, I want to commend you folks here at the Oasis. There's a lot of things that, as a church that we obviously need to strengthen and improve upon. And even in the area of generosity, we haven't arrived. But, but I want to say this. I've been in ministry for 29 years. I don't think I've ever been part of a local church that is any more generous than what you folks are. In three years, the way you have responded to needs around you, needs within our church, needs within our community, it just, it's so cool because again, I just sit back and go, you all are just being obedient and responding to God's grace in your life. That's why you're so generous to each other and to your community. And, and when a need is made known, man, you step up and you are generous. You, you meet that. So I want to commend you for being generous. Again, we haven't arrived. We can never just sit back on our, you know, accomplishments and laurels. But I do want to encourage you. You are a generous people. And God takes note of that. And so do I. For if the eagerness is present, the gift itself is acceptable according to whatever one has, not according to what he does not have. Verse 13, for I do not say this. So that there would be relief, relaxing, a loosening for others, notice, and suffering or extra pressure for you. In other words, Paul's also making another really important point. God's design in all this isn't for one party or one church or one group to always be the ones giving and never receiving. Notice what Paul says. But as a matter of equality... Verse 14, at the present time, your abundance, literally in the Greek, leftovers. Your leftovers will meet their need, their deficiency, their lacking. But notice what he says. So that one day, their abundance, their leftovers may also meet your need, and thus there may be equality. See, Paul says, the way God designed it isn't for a certain Christian a certain family, a certain church, to always be giving, giving, giving to this particular family, to this particular individual, to this particular church, and never having them pay it forward to someone else or something else. It shouldn't be a chronic thing. It should be, look, we're going to help you, and maybe we'll help you get back on your feet and help you get through this severe ordeal, but then we're hoping that Once you, then you can in turn, once you get back, you can start blessing others. That's the way God designs it to be. And then he quotes from the Old Testament about the gathering of manna in verse 15. The one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have little. Because if you remember the story of the manna, God only gave them what would last for one day. No matter how much they took or how little they took, they were going to get the manna that they needed to get through that day, and the next day God would show up with more manna. And God is simply saying, I told you I will take care of you. Trust me. No one can outgive God. No one is more generous than God. And when God's grace is operating in our lives, again, there will be evidence of it. 
And in the first 15 verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, basically Paul is sharing with the church at Corinth the evidences of God's grace in Christians' lives. So we could even say the first 15 verses are about the principle of grace or the principle of giving or the principle of generosity. But then in verse 16, he talks about the plan. And I'm not going to spend too much time here. We're going to wrap it up here in just a minute. But the primary thing that you're going to see that Paul says is this. Whenever it comes to money, we have to make sure as Christians... As churches, as ministries, that when it comes to money, we are doing everything absolutely above board. With all the checks and balances that need to be put in place, not only to protect those who handle the money within the church, but obviously to protect the body as well. And when it came to how they collected all this from all these churches, you can imagine. There were probably in those days thousands of dollars being collected from all these churches. Well, how were the Christians in all these churches, and obviously the saints in Jerusalem who really needed this collection, how were they sure that all the money that they had given was going to get to where it needed to be, just like today? We have disasters that happen, and all these organizations come on and say, you know, hey, help us, you give. Do we really know where our money goes when we give it to certain? Some probably. Because some are very accountable and, and, and very transparent. But we better be careful. Because some organizations, even Christian organizations and ministries, if you were to ask them to let you see where the money goes and all of that, you'll never know. You don't know because they're not doing everything above board. They're not being transparent. And that's a red flag as far as God's concerned. Notice what he says in verse 16. Thanks be to God. By the way, the word thanks there is the Greek word charis, grace. Grace enables us to be thankful. Thanks be to God who put in the heart of Titus the same devotion I have for you. Because he not only accepted our request, but since he was very eager, he is coming to you of his own accord. And we are sending along with him the brother, who's not named, who is praised by all the churches for his work in spreading the gospel. Whoever this person is, and we don't know, I could give you a few guesses and speculation, but remember a couple weeks ago I said we're not supposed to speculate? So we're not going to do that? For whatever reason, his name is not mentioned. This guy had a great reputation amongst all the churches to the point where it's like, if this guy's involved in this collection, it's going to be okay. We trust him so much that if he's part of this, we're good. Wow. What a reputation that is to have. In addition, verse 19, this brother has also been chosen by the churches as our traveling companion as we administer this generous gift. By, by the way, the word generous gift there in the Greek language is charis, grace. To the glory of the Lord himself and to show our readiness to help. Notice verse 20. We did this. Did what? We got the right people involved. We took the time to plan this out. That's what the word precaution literally means. A planned arrangement. 
We took the time as leaders of the church to sit down and plan this collection out as far as how we were going to collect it, how we were going to distribute it, who was going to be involved. There needed to be a plan. Principles in verse 1 through 15. The plan then of how this all took place, verses 16 through the rest of the chapter. We did this as a precaution, notice verse 20, so that no one would blame, find fault with us in regard to this generous gift we are administering. Very important principle, verse 21. We are concerned about what is right, not only before the Lord, but also before men. Wow. See, God says, when it comes to money, make sure everything is above board. Make sure everything is transparent. That's why, like here at the church, after Sunday service, you'll see a group of people from the church take the offering box, go down on the stage in front of everybody, and checks and balances. Multiple people have to be in on any kind of check cashing within our church system. And I personally believe, and I know the elders believe this as well, that this is part of the reason why God has blessed us so. To have a half million dollars sitting in the bank for a small church like this? Why are people willing to give? I think because you are seeing that, listen, we've told you before, you want to see where the money goes? We don't have anything to hide. You want to know how we do money and how we collect it and and how it gets deposited and stuff? We'll share that with you. Because we believe we have a planned arrangement in place that it would not only be acceptable to God, but also be acceptable to people. That it just looks good. And I'll say this, smells good too. So verse 22. We are sending with them our brother whom we have tested many times and found eager in many matters, but who now is much more eager than ever because of the great confidence he has in you. If there is any question about Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. Interesting. Paul says that he has a relationship with Titus that really he doesn't have even with someone like Timothy. The words he uses here speaks about a chemistry of cooperation. There are certain people in ministry, there are even certain fellow believers that you and I can just work well with. We, we can fit together. We can, there's a chemistry there. Others, we just don't fit. And Paul is simply saying, with me and Titus, there is literally a chemistry of cooperation with the two of us. So he goes on to say, if there's any question about our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, a glory to Christ. Therefore, show them openly before the churches the proof of your love and our pride in you. This passage has all been about the background of taking up this collection for these dear saints in Jerusalem who are literally starving and going without because they gave themselves to the Lord and now they are suffering for it. And so God rallies his people, churches from all over the area, all over the Middle East at that time, to come together and say, you know what? We're in this together. 
It's not just the church at Berea and the church at Philippi and the church at Thessalonica and the church at Corinth that we're concerned about. We're concerned about each other. And our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem are hurting right now. We need to come together and take up this collection. And the reason they had that kind of a heart and attitude, because God's grace was operating in their life. It wasn't just about them and their church. They had an outward focus. They had an openness of heart. And it was all because of God's amazing grace. May each of us be encouraged and also challenged by 2 Corinthians chapter 8 to receive God's grace, to let God's grace work in us, to to humble ourselves and be dependent on God and allow His supernatural influence and enablement to, to help us to do what we could never do on our own. To take us places where we could never go in our own power and strength. To see things that our own wisdom would never be able to see. That's what God's grace will do in our lives. Let's be a people and churches of God's grace. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you, God, that you supply it to us. You furnish it with, it, with us with it every day. Every day, you pour out your grace in our lives. Help us not to reject it. Help us not to push it away. Help us to receive it in order that we can rise above the circumstances of life. That we can have joy even in the midst of a severe ordeal of suffering. That we can overflow in generosity even out of our extreme poverty. That, Lord, there are no limitations. There are no obstacles to Christians who operate by your grace. The only Christians that, that have limits are the Christians who place limits on themselves by trying to live life in our own power and strength. Help us, Lord, to live by your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.